This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we had a lovely pod planned because all four of us are here inside Old Trafford. I'm stood alongside Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker. But um, there's no smiles this time because, well, we just endured an absolute disaster of a final 10 minutes. There is a smile. Andy Mitten's just had some Maltesers that Carl Anker's brought in. So there's at least one smile between us. It's slightly forced, isn't it, Andy, in fairness? There's lots to get in to certainly just from tonight to be fair there's other bits and bobs on the pod and we'll preview Nottingham Forest as well but Carl what on earth happened in those final minutes it was what could go wrong did go wrong yeah yeah just a complete collapse two freakish own goals uh, and an injury to the Sandro Martinez which I think probably has us all a lot more worried than the actual scoreline well, it wouldn't be so bad if it was just an injury to Lissandro Martinez, but it's an injury to Rafael Varane as well. Bruno Fernandes picked up a booking, which means he'll miss the second leg. Marcus Rashford's already missing. We don't really know about Luke Shaw because we thought he might be back tonight, but he wasn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, the Martinez one, as Carl said, was really alarming. Just the way he went down with no one around him. And, and Varane's was like that. Although I think Tanaga said uh, to BT Sport that that was an issue that they, they knew about in advance. He's been kind of managing it for a couple of weeks. So hopefully that's something that you know they can kind of give a rub to. And he, he played on afterwards as well uh, before coming off at half-time. Was that the international break injury then, was it? Uh, so, so it actually was an international break injury, quite possibly. Well, yeah. he, he's retired he's from tired, France, so but, he, but he was injured, wasn't he, around that time? Yeah, Yeah. so I guess that might be what it was. Um, but Martinez, 
yeah, when you, you think you are thinking in that moment, Achilles, the way he's gone down. Um, but then Tanag afterwards said, no, that's not the area. So at least that's perhaps some silver lining. I don't know what it is. He was holding his ankle, wasn't he? he sort of twisted his ankle a bit as he fractured something slightly. But I mean, the way that he came off, you're thinking Martinez is, is a pretty hard bastard, isn't he? You're thinking he's not going to, you know, come off like that in that kind of angst if it's not a serious thing. Um, I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Being carried off by your two Argentina teammates in that way, in one sense, it's like this is nice, you know, patriotism in, in, in some respects. But also, they were kind of, were they hurrying him off the pitch? Yeah. It's a good point, and I don't know the answer because Manchester United were then down to 10. All the playing advantage was with Sevilla. So, were they trying to get him off the pitch so they could score again? Then again, they were compatriots. Were they both Argentinians? Yeah, who yeah took they him were, off? yeah. And and were United's medical team aware of that situation developed? Because you'd think they'd want to take priority yeah. and, and and get them. I mean, the stretcher, this, to be fair, they were still doing the stretcher. Mm. He was waiting on the side of the pitch afterwards you know, for a couple of minutes whilst they were still doing it. And then he, he went off with his, his face covered in his hands still. And, and, you know, Argentina chants as he's going down the tunnel. So that was nice to see. But um, it was just a curious episode, that. Yeah, it's Montiel and Acuna. They are yeah. Argentinian teammates. Yeah. Um, they will know Lissandro Martin as well. But, yeah, it didn't seem like a, a kind gesture necessarily did it what's the point of having a stretcher bearer then if players are bringing the player off the pitch have you got an issue with the St John's ambulance <laughs> I haven't but now that you've mentioned that there was a very famous game here in 97 the light bulb's just gone off hasn't it it has alright I'll be serious because I remember the, the late David Meek a very um, renowned journalist writing a, a very strong article about this David Boost got injured just over there really serious injury and the St John's Ambulance, who do fantastic work, were not quick enough to him. And the point was made that when there are serious injuries, you need people to get attention to them straight away. And David, who was quite a placid uh, journalist for the Manchester Evening News, he wrote saying, this isn't really on. And it changed after that. And that's why you don't see St John's Ambulance men going onto the pitch now. That's why it's fit stretcher bearers. So why did that stretcher bearer not go onto the pitch and bring the player off. Because if you're being carried off by your teammates, I get it's quite emotive, I get there might be reasons for and against, but could actually do worse to the injury. Well, if one of them dropped him, for example, yeah, it could definitely be worse. Um, the subs as well, Carl. Um, Eric Ten Hag was asked about that straight away in his press conference after the game. He was quite defensive about it, as you'd understand, but he also kind of explained why he did what he did. Did United sort of invite that onto themselves? And one of the reasons for that tonight was the changes so early and so many of them. I want to say no. Well, you know, Harry, you sound like Ten Hag. Harry Hindsight, as Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer used to say, Harry Hindsight <laughs> says it all looks bad. But triple sub on 61 minutes. And you're going, OK, this makes sense. Anthony Martial can't play 90 minutes, or we don't think he can play 90 minutes. So that makes total sense to take him off. Ericsson definitely made sense because United were lacking control in that match. We'll get on to that because yeah. actually my biggest takeaway from tonight was the fact that United can't control matches and it was glaring in the second half that that was an issue. I think that's a bigger issue than the substitutions. Ericsson, you know, it's all good having him back. But remember, we've done several podcasts about Ericsson in the second half. He's not putting his body in the line to, for those 50-50 challenges. He's not going to try and win the ball. That's not what he does as a player. Ericsson's in there to retain possession and at a game that was being played at a frantic pace, there wasn't enough possession for him to retain, if that makes sense. So the triple sub makes sense. Rafael Varane for Harry Maguire makes sense. And then unfortunately, you're out of luck with what happens after that. You know, sometimes you get, you know, you get done, you get football, you get burn lead, as we used to say. You know, if you, you've, 
conceded two own goals to a quite a poor Sevilla side that's battling relegation. The issue is not necessarily the scoreline. The issue is, oh, if there's no Lissandra Martinez, if there's no Luke Shaw, if there's no Marcus Rashford, then you can start being concerned. Not necessarily, oh, it's Sevilla. They, they're going to be at home. They're a good football team. The other thing as well, Andy, that wasn't just a Sevilla side who were battling against relegation in the Liga. It was actually a, almost a backup Sevilla side who were fighting against relegation in La Liga. My first reaction when I saw that Sevilla team was they've given up on the Europa League, a tournament which they've dominated. And I didn't change that opinion as Manchester United easily dominated. They made six or seven changes from the game against Celta at the weekend. And United was surprised by that Sevilla team. I know that for a fact. Well, seven changes is a, a lot, isn't it? For a game of this importance. I mean, it in, in a way, it didn't feel like a European quarterfinal in that first half, did it? It felt like a warm-up, you know, one of those easy sort of straightforward group stage matches because Sevilla looked so poor in that first period. Star players on the bench. Imagine if Manchester United would have started tonight with Casemiro, Rafael Varane and Lissandro Martinez on the bench. It might be the second leg. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I chose the wrong names there. But you get my point. I asked the question because I know people at Sevilla and was told straight away, we've got a six-pointer on Sunday against Valencia. Valencia, yes, Valencia are in a relegation position. Sevilla are 13th and they're only five points clear of the relegation area. Do they call it a six-pointer so, in Spain? Seis the, the reply which came back to me, and I'll show you, boys. Seis, seis puntas? I will show you because this person... Um, there we go. Even Rakitic, does that say? Yeah, six point. It says six point in, in, in uh, it's, it's in English, it's not in Spanish. In because the, yeah. the person who replied to me is Spanish. Yeah, we had the um, yeah, Spanish it, commentator behind Laurie and I uh, in the press box. And there was a little moment where they it was literally translated um, Theatre of Dreams into Spanish, yeah. which I thought was quite nice as well. Theatre de Ilusión. So like, yeah, that sounds better in Spanish, actually. <laughs> it's better than my um, chat with four Sevilla fans before the game who'd made themselves acquainted with the, the beer on sale in this city. Well acquainted by the sound of this story, yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking to him and I said, like, I'm a journalist. I, I, I spoke to your local radio station today in Seville. I can have a few words with you. And, yeah, yeah, no problem at all. They understood that as me saying that I was interviewing him for that radio station in Seville which is really well known there would be like you know BBC One in Seville and they're talking to me saying I can't believe we're speaking to this presenter and I'm like no 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 this, is, this conversation is just going nowhere at all and they were great they were stood outside on Samat Busby Way and they said we had a small away following because it's only four days after Easter, which is huge in Seville. It's a massive festival in Seville and they've had a poor season as well. They like chocolate, do they? I like chocolate. They said we'll be very welcome in their city next week, whatever happens tonight. So there was a lot of goodwill there. And in the first half, I stood in the Stretford end tonight and there were a couple of comments like, you, you, you go to um, Seville next week, you can just take it easy, you know? There were songs about Budapest in there. There was even a song about Bucharest behind me. I'm like, no, 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 that's the wrong country. You don't want to go there. The flights there might be cheaper, in fairness. That was put to me. Yeah, yeah. Actually, if you did go to Bucharest, you get there a lot cheaper. And it ain't that far from Budapest. But that was before Sevilla scored the two goals. I still think Manchester United are going through. 
I do because Sevilla was so poor in that first half. Yeah. And to be honest, at 2 0, I was thinking, right, how are we gonna how are we gonna dissect this on the podcast? And I'm thinking, am I being too harsh to say that I was really disappointed with the second half because United had lost control so much? And then lo and behold, you know, it was a freak final ten minutes. There's no doubt about that. Eric Tenag said it was just pure bad luck. I think it's hard to disagree with that. But to the point in the second half, where was the control, Laurie? Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't there, was it? It was. It, United allowed Sevilla to grow some confidence because in that first half they were, they just looked like they didn't really know what they were doing. You know, United were getting in behind them. Sabitzer was playing well in that advanced role. Um, although I think you were saying to me, weren't you, that Tenag was kind of actually in the second half asking him to be a bit more withdrawn and, and kind of come back a bit more uh, to get that control perhaps. Um, but then, you, you know, you hear from Paul Scholes and Peter Schmeichel that have been in this situation before and, and they're saying that this should have been a 5-0, basically. You know, this should have been one of those games that you finish the tie in the first like line. a 5-0 in that first yeah, half. Yeah. just scored in 30 seconds. If he holds <laughs> that offside run, boom. This Ten Hag had coached a 3-0 and one of the big things behind it was how Sabitzer was in this really, really advanced role, almost like how we saw Bruno when Bruno first arrived, where he was on the last line, Martial was on the last line, um, and there were two or three plays where you're, you know, you've got Rafa Varane or whatnot drawing on the opposition press, Bruno Fernandes floating, they just spring the ball out to Fernandes, you've got Martial drop, Sabitzer runs in behind, and you're like, oh, we're off to the races. Two fantastic goals for Sabitzer. I think loads of people in the Stratford ends go and extend these loan deal, make him permanent, but then it just stops in the second half for... but do you know that this control thing though is not new tonight is it this has been an issue in other matches this season when it's felt like even when Manchester United have been losing games at times you just want them almost just to calm down a little bit someone put the foot on the ball and just control the match control possession you know not not allow the game to drift like it did in that second half they, they were almost struggling to put two or three passes together at times yeah it, it got frenetic didn't it I mean you got you had Anthony having his sort of running battle which I don't mind that you know and I thought actually Anthony had probably one of his best games for United tonight again don't you smirk at me again <laughs> he's going on the sides. Well, he was. He, he, he did. He used his right foot a couple of times as you well. Made a, you made a squeal at one point when he did that, Carl. Um, I just, I just think that he's. I, you know, I've criticised. You just him. say, "Don't raise your eyebrows at me again." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm back at school. Don't you, don't you give me the Carlo Ancelotti eyebrow raise? <laughs> um, control. What we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. It's a historical problem. Well, that's it. It goes back to all the Gunnar Solskjaer, doesn't it? Really, where you know it'd be end to end comebacks. You know, and, and it is thrilling. It's it's fun to watch in certain ways, but in situations like this, yeah, you want to be able to ease through, particularly when you know. I mean, Bruno Fernandes was was booked in the the first half, what thirty minutes. So you know, you know that he's out of the second leg. So you know, okay, we need to be careful here. Oh, it was very hard. It's not yeah. a, it's not even a handball, is it? His, his arms like yeah. by his side. It's you know, it's ridiculous. And that was actually when Varane was down injured, by the way. So it's it's Sevilla playing on in, in that um, situation. You've just reminded me of another thing, actually. If you don't mind me uh, raising my eyebrows and, <laughs> and asking another question. Um, Eric Ten Hag said that he'd been given a message or a hint, mm. I, I can't remember exactly how he put it, that Anthony and Bruno Fernandes were going to get sent off, which felt like a really strange thing to say, but that was sort of how he explained why he'd made the changes. Are you just looking up the quote? Mm. He said, Bruno, I got a warning from the ref about a second booking, same with Anthony, I had to make the subs, no other choice. So I, I can only assume from that that the ref's gone, listen, th these two are, are flirting a fine line here, you know, next kind of you know, I don't know if they pull a 
play a back or if you know it's a slightly late tackle they're getting a booking one more you're off yeah when when in other situations maybe I'd let them off so I I don't mind that I can see where Tanak's coming from because you know I mean Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got enough criticism for leaving Fred on against PSG when and then he ended up getting sent off I'm still mad about that let it go let it go (laughs) where is Fred by the way well that is another question really good question Um, we've had Adam Adam Crafton talk about this recently but it really seems like he's just lost his place in the pecking order I mean I initially thought Sabitzer's role would be to be a uh, deluxe Fred or a more consistent Fred to do that role next to Casemiro, but now we're seeing him in a far more advanced role. So Fred should be Casemiro's midfield partner at this point in time, and yet, what's going on? Yeah, well, I think he's he feels like he's struck on something with Bruno playing deeper and Sabitzer playing more advanced. So I was I was surprised that he, he, he kept with that for this one. I thought Bruno would play number 10 again. Um, but but maybe, maybe he's trialling it. Maybe, you know, he feels like this is something that he needs to test in this situation because it, it could... It, it worked against Everton, didn't it? Those those longer balls from deep. Um, I don't know. They didn't, really, they didn't really do that at all. The, the only long ball they played was, was De Gea to Bruno from a kind of... I don't know if it was a goal kick or just a, a loose ball in the box. And that led to coming watch I think it was the Casemiro chance that yes. got deflected wide um, and Ten Hag made a point of clapping De Gea so he's, he keeps doing this Ten Hag they're obviously working on different goal kicks and when he should kick it long and when he should pass it out so anyway Ten Hag keeps on giving him the recognition um, but yeah I mean, but then you go uh, just on the second half and how it unravelled you know United did have a huge chance at, to make it 3-0 with 10 minutes left um, and Vegost, you know, could he tee up Malassia better or could he give it to Ericsson instead? Malassia is so left-footed that he has to kind of scramble to get it and then it's an awful shot. So, and, and that, you know, that could have been 3-0 and wow, what a different scenario we're looking at there. If David De Gea had not made two key saves, you know, Manchester United definitely deserved to win and dominated, but De Gea was needed as well. He makes a very good save from a corner just before half-time. And, and you know, yes, if, blah, blah, blah. The big thing here is that lack of control. And this is a historic problem. This will be a problem until someone arrives to play next to Casemiro and receive the ball from your centre-backs. Because, I mean, I can talk about Paul Pogba, I can talk about Emmanuel Vazquez, I can talk about Andy Herrera, I can talk about Bruno Fernandes, I can talk about Fred, I can talk about Scott McTominay, I can talk about all of these midfield players. They're all accelerants. They all want to play very quickly and they all want to play transition football. Whereas if you watched that other football team across the city when they were playing against Bayern Munich and Bayern got their tails up, they had Bernardo Silva and other midfielders go, oh, we're just going to slow you down and kill you by 500 passes. Yeah, okay. I don't particularly like watching that football for too long. It's not necessarily the quote-unquote... need to be able to do it though, don't Man you? Man United way. But you do need to be able to do yeah. it. And Manchester United back in the day on the... Could foot, do it. Could do it. Absolutely. Michael- in fact, I'd go as far as to say the best Manchester United teams did do it. Yeah. You have to be able to do it. And I've been talking to Liam Tharm He's really nice. He wears tailored trousers and he supports Brighton. He's um, a data guy, by the way, for those that don't know. <laughs> He's really nice. Uh, and we, well, I'm gradually getting to this point where you have a discussion where the difference between a good Man United game and a bad United game is how they're reacting to the opposition pressing. So Everton, good game. Bruno Fernandes looks amazing because Everton's press, shocking. Laurie wrote a, a really fun sentence about how Sims is not the presser that Alexander Izak is. Newcastle, not a good game. Newcastle's press, really aggressive, much better. That's why they're in the top four. All these big games and their big defeats United have suffered are because opposition teams can press them properly. And because even United's best players, Bruno Fernandes, he doesn't like being pressed. That's why he's always doing those flick-ons and backheels and whatnot. Casemiro, he's okay being pressed closer to the halfway line. He doesn't like being pressed on his own penalty. So you 
this is why you know Ten Hag spent all these weeks trying to get Frankie de Jong. He wants that person to go, cheers, Martinez, cheers, Rafa, cheers, Harry Maguire, I'll take this ball and just calm it down. But you're not going to fix that until the transfer window, unfortunately. So, oops. There, 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 there are other factors, though. I think that the injuries did affect the flow of the game. I think that Anthony's shot, had that would have gone in, or Malassia had a, a chance as well. That could have been 3-0, but Eric Ten Hag, I was told, uh, told someone after the game that injuries made a big factor in that game. And sometimes it happens in football. And it's all right, Paul Scholes sitting in the studio saying, in our day. Well, I was in the stadium in his day when FC Porto scored the last-minute winner and knocked Manchester United out of the Champions League for a game Manchester United, with all those world-class players, should have had under control. It's very frustrating. It's what happens in football sometimes. It drives us mad. But we're all going to be paying far more attention to that second leg than we would have done had Manchester United won 2 or 3 nil. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can we talk about something positive, maybe? Because it feels yeah. like we've all we've had a good rant and we've got things off our chest. Um, Maltesers, Maltesers are positive, aren't they? Great Not when the bag's nearly empty already, Andy. Thank you very much. Laurie, Sabitzer was quite good in that role, wasn't he, as a number 10? And actually, in recent weeks, the relationship that he's been striking up with Rashford and, and Martial tonight, that's an encouraging development, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's another option of, of scoring goals. And actually, this season... Uh, I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but I think United's midfielders have contributed in, in a good way. I know Rashford's out on his own for, for goals for United, and, and yeah, there's, you know, we, we look to the second leg, and uh, you know, Tenag didn't actually rule out him being back for that second leg. By the way, tonight he said there's a chance, so there's something for Carl and I to kind of uh, burrow away at and, and see how you know how many games a few games actually represent. So vague, so vague, so vague. Well, we thought a few games could actually just be three. You know, it could be Brighton FA Cup in the semi-final. You know, that that could be actually it. And, and if if push came to shove, with a situation like this where um, United are, you know, not down to the bare bones, but they're missing a few key players, and they probably need a goal. Well, they do need a goal unless they go through on penalties in in Seville. Um, could he could he play? So that's something I suppose the, the coming days will tell us. Um, but yeah, to your point, Sabitzer, uh, I think he, he he does 
contribute in that way. I think you you, you knew that's what he was going to bring when he came from Bayern. He, he scored goals for Leipzig. He scored goals for Bayern. That arrival into the box, he timed his runs really well, yeah. and, and his finishes yeah. were, were excellent as well. Yeah. You know, once he's in, I know the first one took a little bit of deflection, but really good finishes with his left foot. He's two footed. Wasn't the biggest deflection tonight, was it? Well, there we go. I know. Yeah, if you're talking about deflections, wow. I mean, that Molassi one was so bad, wasn't it? But then Maguire's, it's going so far wide. It's in the corner flag, I think. I think it's more off target than the cross that Molassi yeah. turned in. Yeah, and, and that, that is just bad luck. I mean, the Molassi one's bad because he lets Navas run behind him. Um, he doesn't look at all. He doesn't check, and and then he tries to atone, and it, you know he puts out a leg, and it's the worst thing you can do in that situation because De Gea's just like, what are you doing? Slapping the turf. Um, but yeah, it's a bit so good. And also, as you say, his relationship with Martial looked. Looked, looked sharp, looked, looked encouraging. I mean, Marshall, he teases you like this, doesn't he? Yes. Just just when you think, write him off, sell him 100%, not, no good. He's, he's injured too many times and, and he, he probably will get injured again. Let's be right about this. But in these moments, in these moments, he it shows what a quality player he is. You know, the passes that he was making, I mean, that, that second goal was, was marvellous, wasn't it? To kind of hold the defenders off and turn and put the pass in. Um, and so you just hope that at least he can stay fit you know, he'll be fit for the second leg and can he produce a performance like that over there? I thought Martial was excellent and you, I'm glad you mentioned that second goal. He drops back into midfield to allow those runs from midfield and that was the key. I thought United played really well in the first half. I thought Me the too. three were good, very impressive. Especially without Rashford as well. It's the yeah. first time we've properly seen them without him since he's he's picked up that injury against Everton. Yeah, but United were, were, were excellent. Everything was, was going to plan. And this is a team Manchester United have never beaten, by the way. Still, still. Heritage, heritage. Yeah. That's that, that is my one worry, right? So I've said here, I think United are going through, but my one worry is that there's some sort of spell which basically <laughs> says Seville win this competition all the time. That is my one worry. For the listeners, Andy Mitten just went and kind of waved his hand in a kind of Harry Potter style sort of, you know. Casting. I think you're more Gandalf with his Gandalf, age profile. Yeah. Yeah. That, I would just want to say, that first goal United scored is Ten Hag football. So it is bait in the press. It's your your right back is passing to your centre back while your defensive midfielders run off into the half space. You're firing it into your free eight. And the Sabitzer thing is interesting, Laurie, because when he turned up, I went, oh, you're you're meant to be Fred, but better. But what he did in that first half, that's what Donny van der Beek used to do at Ajax. That is exactly... You've written that in the article. I was going to ask you about that. That is exactly what Donny van der Beek used to do for Ajax in 1890. You're running ahead of your striker and you're attacking the half spaces and you're pulling away into one, one or two shot touch finish. And I go, oh, he's, he's, he's figured out his Ajax system yet. And it's just couple more players <laughs> he's got more athleticism than Donny yeah. hasn't he that's the difference where he's, he's been in this high pressing mode at Leipzig for years and, and he, he can make those you know, perhaps lung busting runs and you're right it, it does recall Donny when he was just stood up there it was like a centre forward and you'd be like what are you doing but actually this is the key to it Donny is the inspiration still <laughs> if you leave your best players out you can bring them off the bench. And when Sevilla did that, they forced Manchester United into making some mistakes. So they were also much improved <laughs> in the second half. I really like the manager, um, Mendilibar. He's the third manager that they've had this season. I heard him described as a Spanish Tony Pulis after the game. A journeyman manager, is that fair to say? He's not managed at clubs as big as Sevilla before. Okay. So people were a little bit snooty when he got the job and it was needs must. And he just walked in and said, I will sort this out. That's it. Just leave it with me. And I thought he spoke very well after the game. 
and was very respectful. Mister, so. you called him, didn't you? I called him Mister, which is an English word, but that is what all Spanish football managers are known as. Like gaffer, then. Yeah, it's it's more formal than that. <laughs> but um, football arrived in Spain from British expats in Andalusia and in the Basque country. And there are still words used in English which relate to Spanish football. It's why athletic club is an English word. And the Scots who set up Recreativo Cuelva, the, the first um, Spanish football club, you, you, the words like corner and offside are not Spanish words. And it's normal for a journalist to call a Spanish football coach mister. And I said to him after the game, what's the atmosphere like in your dressing room after that? going into that second leg and it's like we had a big lift from what's happened here tonight going to be very complicated in that second leg still going to be 11 against 11 but he went into quite a lot of detail with his answers they've got a huge game at the weekend so all their attention is going to be on that game against Valencia and Eric Ten Hag said all his attention is going to be on the game against Forest so it really is evenly set up. It's it's 50-50, but I've said publicly that Manchester United are going through, so it's obviously 51-49 in Manchester United's favour. I'm yeah. call it now. United should win against Sevilla, away from home. Like I think the uh, horrible feeling in my stomach is knowing there's potentially a matchup with Juventus and other teams further on without Luke Shaw, best ball progressive from deep United have, with Lissandra Martinez most press-resistant centre-back and best progressive passer we've got. Uh, again, you know, I mean, Casemiro thankfully didn't get booked, so he's not going to be suspended. Um, and then maybe, you know, we still don't know about Marcus Rashford's situation. So I'm not sad about the draw because football happens. I'm more sad about that's a lot of very important weapons that aren't going to be there for the next stage, possibly. Yeah, by the time people are listening to this, Eric Ten Hag is due to hold a press conference on Friday, so there's a fair chance that we'll have an update on exactly the injury situation. Or we might have what we've just had recently, which is no update and just some vague sort of timeline <laughs> about when these players may, may or may not be missing for. The other major positive, Laurie, is the home form continues. You've wrote a piece on The Athletic, which has just about, by the skin of its teeth, found relevance for a second day which is always great when that happens but just to update the stats that are in it then 25 unbeaten now at Old Trafford um, two more matches unbeaten and it puts Manchester United into the top 10 runs in their history actually at home that's how good the home form has been this season and they still have in their sights the most home wins in a campaign as well the record for that is 27 which was set in the 02-03 season United are on 23 at the moment it should have been 24 it wasn't but that does still speak to United's improvement under Ten Hag on this ground considering some of the days we had here last year yeah I think that's thing to be cherished because you want your home ground to be a place that people start to fear to come and, and that should play a part in their psychology before they get into the game and that used to be the case didn't it but then in recent seasons so many teams have won here that it's kind of like we enjoy coming to Old Trafford actually it's a, it's a good you know it's an occasion and we, we feel like we can we can do something and, and, and make a name for ourselves almost but yeah I'm glad that they didn't lose tonight because I, when I posted this piece this morning all the replies were like you've jinxed it you've jinxed it you've jinxed yeah, it yeah. I was like should we wait until after the Sevilla game I'm glad we did it before because at least you know it was that, that had momentum to it it would have felt like a bit of a, a, a cheap 
cheat doing it after this one. Um, but yeah, as you say, I mean, that, that 26, so they've got, uh, they've got four more Premier League games, haven't they? And they've potentially got a Europa League home game if they get through. So that's five potential games. If they win all them, then it's the most wins in a season at Old Trafford, which obviously has been helped by, as Andy Mitten always tells us, the improbability of the draws at home in, in the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup but there's reasons for it. I, th I think a big part is Tanag changing the pre-match routine. They used to go to the Lowry the night before the game, then have to get a coach over and it was a bit awkward. Occasionally they got stuck in traffic. Jose Mourinho famously walked mm -hmm. half a mile in 2018 because he was so against pissed Seville. off. It was against Seville. I've got Juventus in my head, but Civic yeah. could it be... It happened twice. Okay, yeah, so... It wasn't a one-off. Yeah, right. it happened twice. There we go. So, yeah. and, and I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Your home ground and you're, you're in stuck in traffic getting there. So, you know, this season at the start of it, Tenag said, I want us to be able to have a, a space at Old Trafford. And they've given out a suite that's, uh, you know, usually paying customers. So that's, that's come at a cost to the club. But the idea is that football should come first. And it, and it absolutely should. You know, it, it, it shouldn't be a commercial entity. So that's the difference. And... We're getting told we've got to go. But quickly, yeah, I think it's a good thing that United have been able to tweak things so that the home form and the, the Red Army section that Andy was in tonight, I think they also give a lot of atmosphere. I think that's helped. If you want to know more about Manchester United's home form, you know what to do. Go to The Athletic and go and have a read of Laurie's piece. If you're not a subscriber, remember there is that offer on at the moment of £1.99 a month for the first year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Pod. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. Well, for the first time ever, mid-podcast, we've been thrown out of Old Trafford, so we're continuing now with the final bit of Talk of the Devils um, next to a hot dog stand uh, just behind the Stretford end, and I'm actually physically using a hot dog stand uh, to put all the equipment on for this podcast, which Laurie is now pointing out, says Willow Catering on it, which are my former employees. And I've just admitted to doing uh, two shifts at the Etihad Stadium to make sure that I could get in for the Manchester United game, which they then went on to win 4-1. It was an absolute disaster. I didn't even see the fourth goal. I resigned on the spot and have never worked for Willow Catering again. <laughs> I used to be in the hot dog game when I was a kid. Really? Really. When I was 13... I spotted a gap in the market, hungry mates at school. So I bought a massive flask and I filled it with, with hot dogs and bought bread and ketchup and tested the market in the morning by selling these hot dogs for 30p each. And it just took off massively. Within a, like a week, I had queues of people coming into my classroom and the teachers sort of, on one hand, applauding 
my entrepreneurial spirit, but on the other saying, you know, there are health and safety issues here. You're putting the canteen out of business. Yeah. I, it's like those teenagers selling bottles of Prime. I, I was no different, honestly. I needed a minder at one point because someone in a, in another class tried to muscle in on me oh. business. <laughs> Aged 13, so the hardest lad in the class. There will be people listening to this who've bought my hot dogs a long, long time ago. Satisfied customers. Anyway. Yeah, we digress, don't we? We need to talk about your article, which I have no idea when you're going to write it, considering it's nearly midnight and you're going to get a flight in a few hours back home. But what are you writing about? What can Athletic subscribers look forward to? Hot dogs. Burgers. <laughs> Any onions, mate? I'd love an hot dog now we're talking about that. I went in the Red Army section tonight, which is um, where we're stood close to now between the train, which you can obviously hear on the main Manchester-Liverpool rail line, and the Stratford end. I think the Red Army section has been a success. I've been very supportive of it. The atmosphere was good tonight. It was an awkward game. It was terrible when United played Sevilla in 2018. The fans really didn't do the bit. But there, there's a thrust of organised groups at a lot of clubs, Crystal Palace, Arsenal, Celtic. And I stood in it tonight, you know, 3,800 people. It was loud. I, I got a real sense of community. So I met the people in Manchester before the game. I want to know the numbers, um, how it came about. I knew some of the information, but I, I think it's quite interesting. Um, it's a good experience. However, I did look at the Seville end in that last 10 minutes and it was just naked jealousy. <laughs> I'm looking at it from their perspective. The 2 nil down against Manchester United, probably the biggest club in the world. And with half their reserves playing, they come back to two all. What do the youngsters call it? limbs apparently someone did say to me look at them limbs and i just looked across and they had flares and they only brought a thousand but it was a tight thousand and they were going absolutely crazy and and you can't blame them and next week that the atmosphere in sanchez pijuan will be incredible so the traveling united fans who've sold all the tickets don't be turning up five minutes before kickoff the team really needs your support there serious yeah, they certainly do. That second leg is looking completely different, obviously, after the end of the game here tonight. Let's preview Nottingham Forest quickly then. Um, Eric Tenag was asked in the press conference, Laurie, does he have any idea what team he can name at the City ground on Sunday? Thankfully, he said he could. But um, he's got a better idea than us then, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got 11 players. He, they'll, they'll put a, he can put a team out. It's a team that's had, what is it, millions, a billion spent this on it. Rich, this is the most expensive squad in world football. Is it? Yeah, it was the most expensive squad assembled in world football last season, and Eric Ten Hag spent two hundred and fifty million on top of that. So Chelsea, yeah, surely yeah, Chelsea, surely Chelsea. Mm. Now Pogba's left it as well, so I presume that's eighty odd million. But is, is, is it top three? It's up there, yeah. <laughs> it's up there. It's up there. Um, I tell you who did. I tell you, we've not touched on him yet, and you, this might get another raised eyebrow from you. But Jaden Sancho, actually, I thought, oh, okay, you're going along with that one, Ian. Okay, good. Um, okay, Carl's sort of um, doing yeah. that. Yeah, but sign. better, uh, not better, he, but better. He beat a man in the second half. He beat a man. He did uh, die. He though. Did, uh, everyone dies, don't they? I mean, like, yeah, he died. You're talking to an ex-swimmer, mate. I mean, he's <laughs> never going to go there, is he? Fair, yeah, six point four. Um, <laughs> He, uh, I don't think he can give point fours out in, in diving, can you? Point five. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> You're the only one who's going to know the answer to that. There'll be someone listening that knows. Yeah. Um, so, so I think he that was encouraging, and, and it was interesting that he brought him off. Like, so you're thinking, okay, he's, he's brought him off to rest him ahead of Sunday. That was the one change actually yeah. that was probably a bit needless, wasn't it? Yeah, 
but that's what I look back when he said everything was you know enforced and he did also he put on Palistri didn't he in the final 10 minutes who you know to be fair then created that chance but Again, that's probably one that isn't necessarily. Well, that was know, the essential. Anthony thing that the referee told him he could yeah. get sent off as well, wasn't it? But, but what about Forrest then? I mean, you know, it, we've not even. That's a really loud train. Um, we've not even really mentioned them and, and what they might do against Manchester United this weekend. Speaking of 11s that you can't really predict, you've got Nottingham <laughs> Forest, right? Uh, I just, you can't even predict their sort of squad, well, can you? Hammers. There's so many players. Or their manager. Yeah, I saw Hammers or Rodriguez. That's just. <laughs> Amos Rodriguez has become a free agent and you wow. sort of look to the uh, quote tweets and there's a bunch of Forest fans going, yeah, go on, one more can't hurt. You know, to Laurie's point, Mala right, De Gea, Malassia, Lindelof, Maguire, Wambasaka, Casemiro, Eriksen, Fernandez, yeah. Yeah. Sancho, Anthony, Vegost? That's that's an 11 that should be able to beat Newcastle. Well, Martial, he's had half an hour's rest tonight, hasn't he? <laughs> Will you take Martial for 60 minutes again Then big Vegost? Yeah, it's fine. That should be able to beat Nottingham Forest. I don't know why I'm doing a pleading gesture with you. You are. <laughs> you're right. You're right. It, it's 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 a struggling club, and Manchester United have, have had good results against Forest this season. The last time there was a league game there, Manchester United scored eight. I'll settle for seven this time. I was sat with Jim Ryan, actually, who was the assistant manager um, on the day uh, that Manchester United won eight one. He was a reserve manager for. Uh, about a decade for Manchester United, but had stepped up uh, to be assistant. And he gave Ole Gunnar Solskjaer his instructions uh, to quan the pitch that day. So Manchester United are 4-1 up. It's about 79 minutes in from memory, something like that. And he says to Solskjaer, nothing stupid. We don't need any more goals. It's 4-1. Just see the game out, <laughs> you know, wrap it up and let's move on to the next one. And he basically said, I don't think Ole listened because... <laughs> Older, older listeners will remember that Solskjaer went on to score four goals. He's still to this day the only substitute in Premier League history to score four. And he did it in something like 12 minutes. Absolutely remarkable. Oh, it was a great day, wasn't it? Um, and, I mean, you can't really tell a striker, especially one like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, not to score goals. It's like, that's the thing that he does. <laughs> uh, but they, they, they're just fun goals, aren't they, as well? I, I remember one where he had to like, boot it in on a second attempt against Dave Besson. And like yeah. the scruffiest four goals oh, yeah. Yeah. almost ever, to, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, listen, if, if you know, Val Vegos wants to come off the bench and score four goals on Sunday, I think he actually might start Vegos again. I, I, I did jinx him because I did that piece about him starting 19 games in a row and then the 20th <laughs> on the bench. I mean, he was really bad at Newcastle, so you could see why Tenag's switching him out. Um, but I kind of feel like maybe he's gone right, he's on the bench and, and as Carl's alluded to, I think he probably has to still start Martial, really, because you don't want to take him out. But there's also that idea of not, you know, allowing him, you know, maybe to get an injury that keeps him out of the severe game away. Uh, and oh, we're getting that was a slight heckle, maybe. Was it heckle? Were we getting heckled? And the city grounds is, is a really good football ground. I really enjoyed going there. Yeah, I, I loved ground. I loved going to the city ground a few weeks ago, Forest Newcastle Friday night. Just a brilliant atmosphere, and, the, and there's a genuine pride that the team's back in the Premier League as well. I, after that, I sort of wanted them to stay in the league, but obviously we don't want them to get a result this weekend, do we? Major concern uh, is Morgan Gibbs White. So he wasn't. I think he went off injured partway through the first leg of the League Cup semi-final, and he is their main on-ball creator. Um, so 
Brennan Johnson's a threat, surely. Yeah, yeah. More than Morgan's I right. think I think Gibbs- Are we having an argument about Forrest's biggest <laughs> threat. Yeah. This is an unexpected yeah, twist at the end of the pod. Scouting. Yeah, I think you know, stopping Gibbs White will be important, but having Casemiro back, maybe it's because I haven't seen Casemiro in seven Premier League games. And I've you know, in my mind he's even greater than what he is. But I just think Casemiro being back allows yeah. I said it before, Casemiro being back allows all the attackers to play five yards close to goal. You put the right part next to Casemiro. It might even be Fred. This sh- it should be something United get done. Of course you should. I mean, imagine if you played football and Casemiro turns up alongside you. you you're going to be lifted so much, aren't you? Because he's absolutely brilliant. Well, he's Miss the right Rashford there, though, that goal he scored in January where he ran from his own half was a fantastic goal. Yeah. Really underrated goal, that. I was just going to say, I covered uh, Nottingham Forest for years for the Daily Mail before, you know, my current guys. And there'd be season after season after season, different manager, Close to the playoffs, were going up, it, and it, and that you know ninety nine was you, you knew that was the last time they've been in the Premier League because yeah. as as what you're saying the eight one just stands out, and so many times they failed, and then for Steve Cooper to come in when he did last season and turn it around in such remarkable fashion, I, I think they they'd be mad to get rid of him now. I know you know the owner Maranakis, that's what he does, but just let the guy see it out, and he's had so many different players, um, but as Andy says that that the atmosphere there it will it will be edgy. You know they are they they watch games with a real passion. They'll get on the referee straight away. So the United have got to you know handle that. I mean they did do that in the League Cup earlier this season. Um, and you, you, so you do think at least they've got that experience of, of having that. Um, but it will be it'll be another another fun game I think. Yeah, it used to be a huge rivalry as well. I yeah. remember as a kid yeah. fans singing "We Hate Nottingham." Yeah, fans yeah, like, yeah. why are you bothered about a sort of mid to lower table <laughs> Premier League side? It was my first away game at the City Ground with my mates, and we went on a members bus from Old Trafford in '88. And the people at the back of the bus sang, "We don't need an escort," uh, implying that they were hard escort. A police escort, and I'm thinking, you're 14 years old, you definitely do. And I remember it costing four pounds, and that was twice what I earned from a paper round delivering the Manchester Evening News. And I was outraged. I thought, this is like four quid to stand behind a floodlight pylon, and it was nil nil as well. But it was really exciting going to an away match. And Forrest had a top top team under Brian Clough for mm. so so long. Forrest in one game. Um, were 4-0 up against Manchester United at half-time. It was towards the end of the season and they had top, top players. They reached cup finals and, you know, they brought young lads through like Roy Keane. How many ways did Andy Mitten have to make money when he was a kid, by the way? Paper rounds, selling hot dogs. United We Stand when he was 15, right? United We Stand started at 15. I didn't have one paper round. I had four. Seriously, I used to do morning papers, evening papers, Sunday round, and I also delivered the Stratford and Ermston Messenger, apart from when I once subcontracted it to my little sister, who binned a load of them rather than delivering them. She, she got me in a right load of trouble, didn't you, Haley? Yeah, Haley. Um, if you are listening to this, um, well done, because it's brought uh, a nice anecdote, what, 40 years on or whatever it would be, I don't know, something like that. But anyway, more importantly... Thank you for listening at home. Andy, Carl and Laurie, thank you for being with us as well. And I want to say at the end of this as well, a big thank you to everyone who voted for us in the Sports <laughs> Podcast Awards. Unfortunately, we came... Lads, it's Tottenham. Lads, it's Tottenham, yeah. Um, we came second, but a big congratulations to a view from the lane who are the Tottenham Athletic Podcast, if you don't know. They won the accolade, so 
a big congratulations to them and thank you for listening to the show tonight as well remember go to the athletic and sign up if you're not a subscriber to read all the articles we've talked about tonight the address is theathletic.com forward slash man united pod and we'll see you after forest take care bye bye Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.